All right, it is uh, good to be with you all today. I don't know what it is, but I feel like the, the tone has been set. The tone has been set this morning well uh, for us to reenter Jeremiah's text in chapter 26. You know, in the, in the church, in the, in the service, we, we have a, a time that we call the time of response. We sing a hymn or a song that we may call a song of response. And this is good. It helps us plan the service and identify certain aspects of the service. But really, every Sunday morning in the gathering of the church from start to finish, it is all a plea for the people to respond, start to finish. Uh, you like the word invitation. The invitation is all the way through when we gather as a church. It is an invitation to respond. That's what we're talking about today. Um, Jeremiah's text in chapter 26 is actually sort of a different take on something that he has already preached Commentators believe that chapter 26 is referring to a sermon that was preached and recorded in Jeremiah 7. We won't go there, uh, but his actual content is there. And it's, a, it's an encounter with the people, the leaders at the temple, and he delivers a message that they do not want to hear. You need to remember that Jeremiah is not chronological. Many of the things that we read have happened before or they've happened later, and sometimes it's difficult to know exactly what's going on here. And this text probably refers to a time that was maybe on the earlier side of Jeremiah's ministry, probably 608, 609 B.C. And it was when the decline of Judah started to show, eventually they would be carried off to Babylon. So it's not chronological, but... This text today, chapter 26, helps us to further understand what he was preaching, the message he was preaching in chapter 7. In fact, one commentator says here, the emphasis in chapter 7 was on the content of the sermon, whereas chapter 26 focuses on the reaction or the response of the people. And that's our focus today, the response. Response to God's pleas for a change of course, change of direction, repentance. So let's read this text. Jeremiah 26. I'm just going to begin with the first six verses. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord, all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen and everyone turns from his evil way that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord. If you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I've set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send you, send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, 
and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. Let's pray once more. Father, help us to understand your word by the help of the spirit that Jesus may be exalted, honored, glorified in this place, in our gathering today. We love you and pray in his name. Amen. Jumping right in, I want to show you two requirements that were given to the messenger. Uh, Given to the messenger. Two requirements. First off, there's there's a commitment to God's whole counsel. You see right there in the first part of this uh, passage, those three, first three verses there. He says, you speak all the words that I give to you. Do not hold back a word. So this goes along with everything we've been saying for a few weeks. We preach the whole counsel of God. We don't get to pick and choose what we receive and what we don't receive, what we say, what we hold back in order to, to get the response we want. No, he says, you say every word I give to you, don't hold back one word. We, we have a a practice in our culture that requires this, isn't it? Uh, in in the courtroom, when you take an oath, you say, uh, I "Swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth." It's exactly what God is saying to Jeremiah right here. You tell them everything that I tell you to say. Don't hold back at all. There's a commitment to God's whole counsel, but the other requirement is a call to respond correctly. A call to respond correctly, verses 4 through 6. Simple as this. You're either going to listen, you're going to turn from your evil ways, and I'll relent of the disaster, or you're going to refuse what I'm sending you, refusing God, refusing the prophets. You're going to continue in your evil way, and you will receive this curse. Those are the options. You, You have been walking through Jeremiah. You've heard these options over and over and over and over again. And we're going to hear them again for another 25 or so chapters. These are the options. He's calling them to respond correctly. Two requirements of the messenger. I think there's some application for all of us in here. It's not just for the preacher. But when you are ministering in the world, when you're ministering to a coworker, a neighbor, whatever it is, when you preach the word to them, it's, it's these two things. I don't want to tell them about this sin stuff because, no, you, you tell them the whole counsel. You give them the whole story. You let them know what their sin means before a holy God. And even if it offends them, then it only confirms what the scripture says. It's folly to those who are perishing. And then you call them to respond. Will you follow Jesus? Just as every time we get together, every time we open the word of God, it is always a time of response. Today, from start to finish, it's a time of response. Every time we open the Bible, we are responding. Have you considered that? Have you considered that when you hear the word of God, now you're accountable to respond in obedience? Believer, do you think about that? 
We're going to see some people in this text as we walk through the chapter. We're going to see how they maybe even to some degree were, were okay. They were okay with Jeremiah's message. They weren't going to respond in obedience. The most offensive part of Jeremiah's message, as we just read here, was threatening a curse on the temple. However, the purpose of the message was to bring about repentance. There was a misplaced confidence in the blessings of God rather than confidence in the God of the blessings. They saw their temple as no one can touch this. No one will do anything to this. This belongs to us because God gave it to us and there is no way that God would do damage to this temple. So in some sense, they thought they were untouchable. The priests and the prophets thought they could not be an object of God's punishment, an object of God's wrath. As this occasion is recounted, contrasts are made between the responses of the people to the word of God. Again, that's our focus today. The theme this morning, many responses harden hearts against God's corrections. But only one response brings healing. Many responses harden hearts against God's corrections, but only one response brings healing. You've heard the expression, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Don't know where it comes from, but I would adjust it today. There's more than one way to harden a heart. And that's what we see in this text. The way the human heart works its way into rebellion, whatever way it can. So I want to give you four responses toward heart hardening. Four responses toward heart hardening this morning. First off, a first heart hardening response is to be insulted. Insulted. With this, I want you to read with me verses 7 through 11. It's not going to be on the screen. Verse 7, the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him saying, you shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord saying, this house shall be like Shiloh and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant. And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of of the Lord. You get the picture here. The prophets and the priests are insulted and outraged that Jeremiah would even suggest God's judgment against the temple. With the priests and the prophets driving the outrage, the people lay hold of him, you shall die. You know, people who have something to lose when the word of God is offensive will often be insulted at God's word. Prophets and priests' lives, their livelihood revolved around the temple. Their respect in their society was tied to the temple. Their identity undoubtedly was tied to the temple. So the notion of that being taking, taken away from them was insulting. Who are you to speak to us about this temple? This is our world. This is what we do. Who are you? You know, on numerous occasions, Jesus encountered this kind of response from people who had a lot to lose. 
Luke records Jesus' declaration of the woes. Luke 11. Woes against the religious elite. And then a lawyer stands up in Luke 11.45 saying, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. So Jesus goes on to pronounce more woes and says, Also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. He says, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Insulted that Jesus would suggest that they're not following the faith of the God they claim. On another occasion, upon declaring the whole truth about who he actually is, John 8, you recall Jesus was encountering the Pharisees, the the religious leaders, the people who knew it all. And he said, hey, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what that meant. They knew he was claiming to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew he was claiming to be the self-sufficient God who has existed for all eternity? And their response? So they picked up stones to throw at him. They had a lot to lose. Back in Jeremiah, Huey reminds us, Jeremiah was attacking the belief of the people that God would never allow the temple to be destroyed. First, if the phrase God would never, if that ever comes out of your mouth, you better be very careful about what comes next. I've heard a lot of people do damage to the character of God before others by speaking on behalf of God when they cannot. Second, the phrase God would never may reveal an idol in your heart. Maybe you have a lot to lose. Is it a reputation you've built? Is it a career you've accomplished? Is it some measure of earthly possession or wealth? Maybe even a building for worship. I know it sounds stupid, but you have seen churches get way out of order about some possessions. You've seen people sin against one another because of a building and the things in it. This is going to pass away. The temple was going to pass away. Maybe it's a freedom that you've taken for granted. Be careful about elevating the things in your life to a place where you believe not even God would touch that. When the word is opened up and the Holy Spirit says, let go of this, you let go. They were insulted. I could imagine that there were some saints in Ephesus in Revelation 2 when they heard the word of Jesus saying, if you do not respond to me, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I could imagine, I could imagine that they were insulted by that notion. 
when it reaches the level of the church, the church is always in danger of lampstand removal. Do you know what that means? It means the spirit of God is no longer there. It means that so-called church is cursed. No, no, God would never remove our lampstand. This is such a good church. Surely this can't be right. We're good church-going Christians. No way we would be insulted or outraged by the word of God. But here's a warning. The recurring theme throughout the scriptures and throughout Jesus' ministry is the outrage of religious people when the word of God speaks. Why is it when Jesus speaks to people who are lost and pagan? He's he's so gentle with them. And yet when he speaks to the Pharisees, when he speaks to the religious people, he is nothing less than harsh. In their outrage, these people, they decided, hey, Jeremiah's speaking against us in ways that are insulting, maybe even more. So we're taking him to trial right now. That sounds familiar. They went immediately to the official court. And the purpose, as Huey says, of the gathering was to try Jeremiah on the spot to determine if he had committed blasphemy. There was a response to the word of God that is insulted. Secondly, we see another group of people giving us a different response that is indecisive. They are indecisive. Read with me verses 12 through 16. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people saying, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city with all the words you have heard. Now, therefore, mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will, be, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. These people, they were ready to put him to death. And as we see the story unfold, the next few verses here, then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Jeremiah repeats his commission from the Lord and his commitment to obey God. They allow him to say his peace, even give a defense. But notice, Jeremiah is not defending himself or pleading for his life. It's matter-of-fact kind of speech. His response exhibits his faith. Jeremiah understands something we often don't, that whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord, Christian. The Apostle Paul said it well, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So one way or another, Jeremiah will be vindicated and his attitude is, y'all do what seems right, but just know there's going to be blood on your hands. You're going to have to answer for this if I'm telling the truth. And suddenly their tune changes. Suddenly they're not so sure about this sentence of death. Their opinion 
sways from one moment to the next. Commentator helps here. For the moment, Jeremiah was vindicated as a true prophet in the eyes of the people, but they were not totally convinced. From one desire to the other, indecisive. They're ready to be wooed by eloquent words, indecisive. They're willing to tag along to the newest trend, indecisive. They're captivated by the mob mentality. They're indecisive. They were wavering between two opinions, indecisive. You may recall Elijah confronting Ahab and challenging the prophets of Baal, 1 Kings 18. Maybe one of the most interesting stories for me in all of Scripture And you recall what happened. He challenges the prophets. He says, look, you build your altar. You do your thing. You know, they danced around. They cut themselves open. Baal never showed up. And then Elijah puts his his sacrifice on the altar. He uh, goes through the whole dumping water on it and everything. Calls down fire from heaven. The altar, the sacrifice, everything is licked up. And then he goes and kills 450 prophets of Baal. Wonderful story. You know what he said before all of this to the people? See, the prophets of Baal were there in Israel swaying people away from God, away from his word. So before this massive display of the power of God, Elijah came near to the people, 1 Kings 18, 21, and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Indecisive. For some of us, the word of God has spoken. Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's not last week. It could be five years ago. For some of us, we know the word of God has spoken and we know action is required. But for whatever reason, we won't take a step. We get tossed around in our own thoughts. We get swayed by this person or that, this philosophy or that, this perspective or that. We get scared of an outcome. I don't know what it is, but for you today, is the day to stop wavering between two opinions. If God is God, then serve him. Respond decisively, wholeheartedly, unwaveringly to God. Put your flag in the ground and take action. These people were too easily controlled by others, by circumstances, They were controlled by the movement, indecisive. There's a third response from the elders of the land, verse 17. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Morsheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Verse 19. 
Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. Their response, this third response, irrational. Irrational. The term elder here uh, did not simply indicate age, but a recognized body of leaders. Uh, From ancient Israel, you recall when Moses gathered them together, 70 elders in a tent to hear from God, and they actually spoke by the help of the Spirit. These leaders of the land obviously know their scriptures well. They quote Micah 3.12 verbatim, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem become a heap of ruins, the mountain of the house a wooded height. In context, Zion is the city or the people or the temple, depending on the context. In any case, the message is nearly identical to Jeremiah's message, though it was preached long before. They know the scriptures and they know their history. Hezekiah heard the message and did not put Micah to death. So maybe they're thinking, maybe he is truly speaking on the Lord's behalf. You might get the idea that these elders are on their way to actually hearing Jeremiah's message. But notice the subtlety of their hard-hearted response. They cared not for obeying the voice of God, but only for determining Jeremiah's fate. Here's how it goes. Sure, he, he might be sent by God, and his message might be good, and we'll let him live, and maybe that'll be good enough for God. It's a sermon on repentance, and no repentance happens. It's a sermon on hospitality, and we're no more hospitable. It's a sermon on forgiveness, and we're no more forgiving. It's a sermon on Christ's likeness, and we look no different. The question is not, will you tolerate God's word entering your ears? The question is, will you allow God's word to transform you? Like these elders, if your answer is, well, we didn't kill the preacher. God, aren't you proud of us? The heart is hardening against God. This is irrational. It's irrational. Simply saying you believe it is the word of God doesn't accomplish anything. You might as well be saying to the preacher, man, that was a wonderful sermon today, but I simply do not intend to obey God's word. How about that for a exit interview on Sunday morning. Wow. Thank you for your honesty. There's a disconnect in letting Jeremiah live, accepting that his message might be from God, and then thinking God's judgment has been avoided. Well, Hezekiah did it. We don't have to worry about it. Josiah, just a few years ago, Josiah, he did it. Surely God's anger has turned away from us by now. Their responses were good, and we're okay with what he's doing. We're not going to kill him. Let's return to God's blessings. We're about to bring great disaster on ourselves, they say. The funny thing is, the disaster is already on its way. 
Man, there's so much application here where we deceive ourselves into thinking that somehow God has overlooked all the things that we've done in offense against him. But if we just do this one thing right, then he's, he's going to be on our side. It was irrational. It's an irrational response. Fourthly, the fourth response, there is the response that is infuriated. Read 20 to 23 with me. There was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah, from Kiriath-Jerim. He prophesied against the city and against the land in words like those of Jeremiah. And when King Jehoiakim, with all his warriors and all the officials, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard of it, he was afraid and fled, escaped to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent to Egypt certain men, El Nathan, the son of Akbor, with others and others with him. And they took Uriah from Egypt and brought him to King Jehoiakim, who struck him down with the sword and dumped his dead body into the burial place of the common people. We see Jehoiakim infuriated. Now this is where we get a bit of how the narration changes in Jeremiah right here. Chapter 26, moving forward immediately, is there's, there's almost like a scribe, a, a person that either Jeremiah later writing this down and adding stuff uh, to fill in the story, because this really has nothing to do with the event. He was just bringing the story in to help understand responses to God's word. And so we see uh, another example of Jehoiakim responding to God's word with absolute fury. Jeremiah's life here is being preserved, but it doesn't always end that way when people respond to God's word. So this prophet, Uriah, not Bathsheba's first husband, don't get confused, gave his life for the truth at the hands of the same king, Jehoiakim. In this case, as he stood in front of Uriah, Jehoiakim stood in front of Uriah when he was brought to him, a faithful prophet of this day, Jehoiakim was so infuriated that he personally struck him down with a sword and buried his body with the common people. That's not typically king's business, right? No, take him out back and kill him. No, I'm going to do it. Not only did he disrespect him as a prophet, he also disrespected him by not burying him with his family. He put him in a grave with common people. Now, Jeremiah didn't lose his life here, but that day was coming. In fact, according to history, according to tradition, he was martyred by stoning at the hands of his countrymen. So it turns out he is in good company with the people like Uriah here. He's in good company with a man named Zechariah that Jesus mentioned as we read earlier, a son of a priest who stood in the temple and spoke for God, 2 Chronicles 24, thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. Wow. But the text says they conspired against him and by the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court 
of the house of the Lord. He's in good company, Jeremiah. I think he knows it. He's in good company. There's another that comes to mind. Stephen, Acts 7, preaches maybe one of the most wonderful gospel sermons ever preached. A deacon preached this message before the religious people, basically who were trying him on the spot. Here's what he says. You can imagine why they might be infuriated. At the conclusion of his wonderful display of the gospel, he says, you stiff-necked people, resisting the Holy Spirit, persecuting the prophets, spitting on the law of God. And guess what they did to him? They stoned him to death. Jeremiah's in good company. We could go on and on. We could, we could go through history and see the many who lost their lives for their faithfulness. Now, today's fury may not end in stoning, at least in our society, because you can guarantee it's happening to some degree somewhere right now. But when people are angry at God, they often take it out on God's people. They often take it out on God's servants. How many thousands of times have we heard folks use the church or the preacher as an excuse to continue in sin and disobedience? Well, I don't like what he had to say. I don't like the decisions they made. Those people are hypocrites. Is that, is that all you need to just keep on sinning? I'm a fool. And I, I hope I can speak for all of y'all. Man, we're a, a church full of foolish people. And any accusation that's leveled against us is probably warranted because we're hypocrites. The question is not whether I'm a hypocrite, but whether I'm clinging to Jesus or not. People will often take their anger at God out on God's people. But let's not talk about them, okay? You may say, well, I'm not infuriated by the preached word of God. I would say maybe not now. But do you have a seed of anger? Do you have any, any root of bitterness? That stuff grows. And that stuff will take over to the point where when you hear the word of God preached, you didn't think you would. But on that day, it just makes you mad. It's infuriating. I would tell you, deal with that now. Deal with that now. Each one of these insulted, indecisive, irrational, infuriated. I hope you can see, maybe how these cater to the flesh, how it hardens hearts against God. You may have missed it, but as we walked through this chapter, we saw one person that wasn't in this setting that responds. So I want to give you the one response toward heart healing, and that is repentant. Verse 19, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? The answer is no. Rather, he feared the Lord. 
and entreated the favor of the Lord. And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? Hezekiah repented. Hezekiah repented. The, the, The wording there, seek his favor, literally, it's like smooth the face. For me, when I read that, I was like, it's almost romantic. Almost like if I do something terribly wrong at home and I need to smooth my wife's face to get a desirable response, right? That's the, that's the picture here. I want to smooth the face of God that he would turn his anger away from me. I got to do whatever I need to do. That God's anger would no longer rest on me. So under Micah's preaching, Hezekiah recognized his sinful ways, and guess what? The Lord relented. The Lord responded to his repentance. Very simply, I would just tell you the same is true for you today. As the word of God may evoke a bad response. Be sensitive to the movement of the spirit and repent. Maybe it's a measure of no longer wavering between two opinions. Can't commit to anything. Will you commit to Christ? Hezekiah was repentant. As we conclude, Jeremiah pressed forward amid all the threats to his life, even to the point of trial in the court of public opinion. As far as he could tell, this might be the end, and God spared his life by a man named Ahikam. That's the best way I can say it. (laughs) Verse 24, but the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. Now, I think it's interesting to draw out one person. It's interesting to draw out this one person to say he stepped in and helped Jeremiah escape death. But here's what I would tell you as we conclude, for all the faithful, those who receive repenting and believing, there is one who steps in for you. Not only does he spare you from death, the death you deserve, but he enters into the shame of your death, the ridicule, the mockery, the beating. He even enters into death itself, the death that is demanded by your sin. Jeremiah had an intercessor to step in for him, we have an intercessor, Jesus Christ. He will step in for you. He will give you not only the escape from death eternally under God's wrath, but he will give you life, eternal life everlasting. Would you believe on him today? Would you respond in repentance and faith today? believing on Jesus for your 
salvation. There is salvation in no other name. Christian, you've heard the calls this morning to respond to God's word. Let's respond as the Spirit leads.